passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And Rollins a third time! Seth Rollins into the cover! He and Becky retain their titles! I cannot believe what we just saw! And still, the Raw Women's and Unit. No! Wait a minute, Paul Heyman! Paul Heyman's live before! Paul Heyman, and wait, the beast is lying! Shut up! Heyman didn't lie for a change! Mr. Money in the Bank is here! Brock Lesnar in the contract for a Universal Championship opportunity if he chooses to cast it in! And we are live. Welcome, everybody. We are here. It is the post-wrestling Extreme Rules post-show. John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you late on a Sunday night. Actually, not all that late, to be honest. I thought with the addition of several matches, I thought maybe this one's going to go a lot later than we anticipated. But they were still off the air before 11. Yeah, very confident, I suppose, in their timing, and uh, I think the the result of, uh, what was it, 11 matches in total? 12. 12 matches. Okay, technically, it was really just 11. Real. It, it's it's a WWE amount, because yeah. whenever they do these pay-per-views now, you're guaranteed to get the quick match, yes. which I really like. I like those matches. They're always such a great surprise, yes. aren't they? Because I'll tell you, during we'll, we'll get into it more, during that AJ Styles and Ricochet match, I think partially what really hurt the audience's heat was not so much the match they were watching, but knowing what was still to come and what we've already sat through. And sure. I think that that psychologically, that's very tough when you're in the midst, like Hangman Page and Kip Sabian, where you can see their pace, they're going long, and we still have so much to go through. Mm. And it's sometimes it becomes arduous. And I think certainly this was a crowd that had its its ups and downs on this show. Yes. But Extreme Rules, uh, we are going to be going through all of this and also taking your phone calls at the end. If you want to share with us your feedback to the event, there is many talking points coming out of this that we can discuss. Uh, Potential plans for SummerSlam, what directions you can see them going in, and any other feedback you have for the weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Before we get on to the review, maybe let's do some uh, housekeeping here. Uh, On the feed right now, of course, is our... uh, uh, Fighter Fest, or sorry, I keep getting those mixed up. AEW Fight for the Fallen post show, which we just did last night. Uh, that's also up on our YouTube channel as well. That was only last night. That was only last night, and also from last night, Braden and Davey 
they did a review of Evolve's 10th anniversary show, which I still have yet to watch. But I've uh, watched most of it. But but uh, you can get their perspective on it. Uh, that's up on the Up Next feed as well. It's also up on our feed. But do subscribe to their feed if you enjoy what you hear. Um, throughout the entire duration of New Japan Pro Wrestling's biggest tournament of the year, the G1 Climax, John and I are doing post shows for every single edition. And we just finished day three this yes. afternoon. So if you go to our Patreon, postwrestlingcafe.com or patreon.com slash postwrestling, sign up for... As little as $6 a month, and you get all of our post shows throughout the entire duration of the G1. Yes. um, Incredible amount of shows that we've been putting up on the Post Wrestling Cafe, and we'll continue all summer long. This is our fourth show of two days, with two more to come tomorrow. So we'll be doing six shows in three days. Yeah. I had that moment during today. I definitely hit a wall during Extreme Rules. Like Uh This could have been the greatest show ever. I was hitting this wall, and I was thinking to myself that, man... I really need a break Monday. And then remember, there's a freaking G1 show in the morning, followed by Raw, yeah. followed by SmackDown on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So I, I will take my break on, on Wednesday. And try to fit those breaks in whenever you can. Yes, I, I will try. I did not get in. The news updates are going to be casualties over the over the next uh, little while. I'll, I'll get to them when I can. But there is it's, – it's crazy. Like it's, it was – just trying to keep up on uh, just the regular stuff this weekend was really, really difficult. That's totally understandable. So you'll be hearing plenty of our voices Yes, uh, throughout the next six weeks. Well, less than that now. All right, let's get into Extreme Rules. And this went down on Sunday night from the Wells Fargo Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Earlier in the day, um, as we had reported on Friday, they did add Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler. And geez, uh, they also added a intercontinental title match between Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura. I had heard on Friday... Uh, this was a possibility of being added, but did not hear that it was 100%. So mm-hmm. um, they ended up putting it on the kickoff show. Uh, yeah. What did you think of that decision? Well, I mean, the way I think we saw it executed, no doubt, I feel like they have to set a lot of pieces in place before SummerSlam. So I'm guessing they that's why a lot of these late additions occurred when they did. Just so that <laughs> I suppose maybe the four weeks leading up to – is it four weeks leading up to SummerSlam? Yes. I guess the, the four weeks of TV aren't necessarily enough. You kind of – Needed that extra boost. I guess it was a question of do we do the title switch, getting the belt onto Nakamura tonight, or wait till SmackDown and do mm-hmm. it? And they opted for doing it here. Yeah. So, uh, kickoff began with Jonathan Coachman, Beth Phoenix, Charlie Caruso, and Sam Roberts. And really, this was a wrestling heavy kickoff show. Uh, we had a few promos in the back. Kevin Owens was interviewed by Kayla Braxton. And then Baron Corbin, who was wearing this this hideous looking shirt that was perfect for Baron Corbin to be wearing, was with Lacey Evans. Evans said that they were homewreckers and they were going to end the title reigns of Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch and their relationship. A really scripted sounding conversation that I think is is exactly the type of promo you would expect from the both of them. Imagine they called themselves the Universe Wreckers. Uh, yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful. That's what they do. You know, but but I will say, like, I mean, it's effective in getting its point across. Then we had Finn Balor taking on Shinsuke Nakamura for the Intercontinental title. Early on, Balor hit a Topekan hero onto the floor and then threw Nakamura into the barricade. Then he brought him back into the ring and Nakamura went for an armbar that Balor grabbed the rope. And then Balor landed a seated dropkick to the left knee of Nakamura. Was teasing his John Woo dropkick, but it got stopped by a kick from Nakamura. And then Balor stopped the Kinshasa 
Kinshasa with a jumping foot stomp, dropped Nakamura, drop kicked him into the corner, missed with the coup de grace, and then Nakamura hit him in the back of the head with the running knee, and then the Kinshasa pinning Finn Balor. Seven minutes, 35 seconds. I thought that it was not quite at the level of their um, television match this past week, but it was it was all right. I mean, I, I really kind of put it on that same level. I didn't think it was really anything special. Um, I thought it was just kind of your standard formula, like WWE style of match, and nothing really stood out that much to me about it. Other than I, the title switch. Other than the title switch, I really just kind of see this as like a way to move Finn Balor onto the next thing. What, this is so weird that they it's, you're not wrong, but this idea that you just you lose your title clean and that's your promotion. The next thing, though, could be a rematch against uh, Nakamura, maybe as the demon for SummerSlam potentially what was weird about this was that it was so clean as well sure nakamura didn't do anything underhanded well they just beat him i mean if if you have to call upon the demon it needed to be a clean win i think you need to put nakamura over strong but that said the icy title at this point means nothing balor has hardly had had a you know noteworthy run with it not many title defenses to my knowledge so it's just like another hot potatoing of the belt yeah it really was like remember nakamura with the u.s belt no it's the same thing yes the United, what was his thing? Knock America. Knock America. Yeah. So Nakamura joins Chris Jericho as the two men that have held the New Japan and WWE versions of the Intercontinental title. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, you think this will be a, that, that, oh yeah, remember when Jericho, he pitched that and they were like, no. Nah. Yeah. Uh, then Charlie interviewed the New Day. Um, I don't know what they said, but it was just their positioning. They're framing. They were uh, stacking their heads on top of each other. Is there a name for this? Oh, a totem pole. They, like a they totem said. pole. Okay. Yeah. Big E said that pressure bursts pipes and no one is going to burst their pipes. It was just kind of, you know, goofy New Day stuff. They were being silly, but entertainingly silly. They've got a method to their madness. Yes, they do. They can get away with it. Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese. Um, This was Drew Gulak's second best match of the weekend. I haven't seen the other one yet, but the the real one, would you say? Was they they had better? a really, really strong match. Okay. Um, better than this. This one, it was very identical to Balor and Nakamura. I mean, it was fine, but this was nowhere near what you'd get for a high-level main event on 205 Live. I thought this was way better than Balor versus Nakamura, though, as a um, match. It, I, I thought it was the better match. I, I didn't think it was um, exceptionally better. Um, the audience was chanting for Gulak at the beginning. Uh, Gulak grabbed control of the wrist and started delivering kicks and German suplex Nice into the turnbuckle. And then Gulak was draped on the middle rope as Nice kicked off the corner for a moonsault onto the edge of the apron. Nice followed up with a 450, got a two count, and they showed the replay with Nice and his knees landing right on Gulak. That looked yeah, fun. Yeah, I know. And then Gulak stopped a sunset bomb, countered with a snap power bomb, and his new finisher that he's been using, the Cyclone Crash, and pinned Nice in 726. And the story here is that when he won the match in the three-way at Stomping Grounds, he pinned Tozawa, but not Nice, who was the champion. Mm-hmm. And during this time, Gulak kept Tony Nice's uh, plates on the titles, and they did a video where he finally removed them because now he can consider himself the champion. Cool. Um, fine match. Uh, I, I thought nowhere near the three-way they had at Stomping Grounds two weeks ago that I thought at the end of the night was one of the best matches at Stomping Grounds. I like the match a lot. You know, I, I wonder if I'd seen Gulak versus Riddle before this, whether or not I would, you know, be be making comparisons. I probably couldn't help but make comparisons, but I didn't. And so I watched this, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought, unlike Nakamura versus Balor, this was not your WWE style of formulaic match. It was mu- a much more modern modern style. I love the new aggressive Drew Gulak. I think he, he wrestles 
incredibly stiff looking and i would say uh it's a style that that feels very distinct from the rest of this wwe main roster so i i continue to welcome these matches on the kickoff as long as drew gulak is a champion roman reigns and the undertaker versus shane mcmahon and drew mcintyre opened up the main show um i i think in in hindsight strong decision absolutely this yeah. place went insane for The Undertaker. Huge reaction. He came out last, which was the proper order of introductions. And they're going nuts at the beginning for this. Reigns and Undertaker took turns with Shane at the beginning. Crowd is solidly behind Taker. And man, did this guy have his working boots on. I mean, he wasn't auditioning for the G1, but this guy clearly had a chip on his shoulder after Saudi Arabia. And I think you could really see it in his motivation here. Yeah, I actually feel like in Saudi Arabia, he looked good, but it was the difference of having a partner that could... Was not concussed. Was not concussed and also, you know, probably a, a 10 years younger. Yeah, but I mean, he's really had to live that one down, that it was yes. pretty much a match that was panned, even though, I mean, that, that really is one I throw out. It's, you know, it was an unfortunate situation, but nonetheless, that match got pr pretty soundly panned, mm -hmm. and it was. It was a pretty oh, terrible oh. match. That yeah. that was the end result. Um he hit McIntyre with the leg drop on the edge of the apron. Uh, he chased Shane up the ramp with a chair while McIntyre was with Reigns using the steps. And this led to McIntyre having the advantage inside the ring for a bit. And then Taker got the hot tag. And he's like firing up, you know, to a pretty decent level for this guy in 2019 with the snake eyes, Absolutely. the running boot. Then he clears the announcer's desk and... You know he's not doing any kind of dives onto the table, but he teases the last ride onto Shane when Elias shows up with the guitar and breaks it over the back of The Undertaker. So Elias is involved. McIntyre takes out Reigns with the Claymore, and then as Taker is grabbing Elias for the chokeslam, Drew nails him with the Claymore. Taker gets placed onto the desk. Shane McMahon climbs to the top and hits his flying elbow drop. I'll say this. I thought Shane was the great, like... He played, like, the manager role well in this match. Like, the guy who was just trying to, you know, he was... He He's was, the coward. Yes, like, he played what, the coward here to Undertaker. What I absolutely loved was, like, when Taker made his entrance, you had Shane... Hiding. Hide behind Drew McIntyre yes. and just give the best, like, facial expression like he was scared. But he's also the, the manager... That does the high spots. He does do like, the high spots. He, he's, but He's a manager who holds the biggest weapons. But I think in, in this match, like Shane's almost painted himself into the corner where, especially at Extreme Rules, he almost has to do these now for the... I, I think it's he's expected the, now. He's, I mean, he's Undertaker is the attraction, but just below him is Shane McMahon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't mind Shane as much in this match. I, I thought he served him. his role. Um, after he hit the elbow drop... They placed Taker into the corner with a trash can in front of him, and Shane climbed to the top. But before going for the coast to coast, he does the throat slash yes, and right. nails Undertaker. I, I got a kick out of that. And then Reigns returns from the dead with a Superman punch to Elias. Taker does a sit-up, and Shane is about to just wet himself. And Taker nails him with a choke slam. He choke slams Elias. Then he does the throat slash as Drew McIntyre rises up like a zombie in the background and it was a tremendous shot that was really well done the other shot i really liked in this match was when taker had the idea of going for the the table the announce table and they had a, a somebody perfectly positioned behind the announce table to just let you know exactly what taker was thinking through the visuals so as drew pops up from behind you think he's going to take out taker with the claymore and then reigns comes out of nowhere and spears drew shane gets hit with the tombstone and Undertaker pins Shane. 
I, I thought this was uh, this went as well as could be expected, and I think it was one of the strong parts of the show. Crowd I, loved this. I thought this was great. You yeah. know, for a 17-minute match involving The Undertaker and Shane McMahon, I never felt bored for a second. And I thought this was probably one of Undertaker's best performances, like, since the the end of the streak, I would say. You know, 50% of his act is simply looking the part and the entrance. And I thought he achieved that, uh, at least, you know. He hustled in this match. Well, he looked great physically. Like, mm-hmm. the, didn't have any sort of gut. Like, looked slim, pulled off, like, the rest of the character really well. The other 50% is his in-ring. And here, I think... What's important about The Undertaker in 2019 is that you keep him limited to what he can do and he can do well. Yes. And everything here, he did well. The hot tag, the punch combo, snake eyes, run the ropes, big boot, choke slam, tombstone. That, that's all you need in an Undertaker match. And, and I think it helped being in a tag. A hundred percent, yeah. So, you know, the rest of this match, though, was the other four people here, and I'm including Elias, who helped craft these moments around him. So credit to, to Elias, credit to Drew, credit to Roman, and especially credit to Shane McMahon, who was the guy who brought the high spots and the spectacular, you know, stunts involved in this match. So it was like a match where you had the spectacle of a Shane McMahon stunt show coupled with, like, the theatrics of The Undertaker, and without the boring middle part when it's just the two of them wrestling because you had Roman and Drew McIntyre filling in the rest. So you give a thumbs up to the Graveyard Dogs. Not the name, but the match, yes. Where do you go with... Because this did feel like the end of the Roman Shane stuff. Yeah, it did. And it feels well. like Kevin Owens is going to adopt whatever is mm-hmm. left with Shane. Under, uh, I guess Undertaker, if he is doing SummerSlam, it seems like a lock. It would have to be true. I would have to think so as well. You know, maybe you throw kind of Elias as like a, somebody in there to side with Drew. I don't want to see... I don't want to see like a handicap situation or anything like that, but Drew versus Undertaker, I I think is perfect, and Shane versus o- Owen seems to be where they're going as well. From a store, or you can make that into a tag, though. I it, it kind of feels weird. Owens teaming with the Undertaker, that's a weird mix. It's a little weird, and Taker's kind of beaten Shane now. The, the match, would, I just, the match would be better though. Story wise, I like Undertaker Drew, but seeing the limitations, I'd prefer Undertaker in a tag. Absolutely, hundred percent. Now, what what do you do with Roman Reigns if not with Shane? I could see Roman going for the title. Oh, okay. If Seth isn't involved, oh my involved. god, damn! I didn't even think of that. I just expected Seth Rollins rematch, but you're right. I think the audience will shit on it, though. I don't know what you do with Roman now unless it's one of the titles, right? Like unless you you come up with some grudge feud, like someone kills him on TV this week. Mm-hmm. Um, to set up a new feud, but I don't know. You've kind of run out of guys for Roman. I guess Elias is there, but that's not big enough. That's not right? SummerSlam. Yeah, uh, and he beat Elias in the that pay per view a few months ago. Sure, he he got the quick match a few months ago. So this this was really uh, I was very impressed with this. I like this a lot. Yeah. And you know, between the opening of the show and the introductions, this didn't start till twenty minutes into the show, and yeah. then we got twenty minutes. So th- this was like the first forty minutes of the show was this. It was the longest match on the entire show. Uh, actually, uh, I second don't know. Longest. Second longest. So the main event was Main longer. event went just longer. I mean, uh, but for for the second longest match at 17 minutes, I, I thought it was satisfying. Didn't didn't drag for me. Yeah. I, I thought this really worked well. Um, Undertaker had a great outing, and everyone else did their part. Sarah Schreiber interviewed Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins. Seth and Becky went out for a stroll last night, but it wasn't a romantic stroll, because Becky's not into that the kind of stuff. The man's not into that stuff, yes. Oh, I hate that. These, these are the these worst. Probo segments. These are the worst. Oh, they're so bad. Yeah. 
and takes then both of them down. Yeah. He talked about seeing, they tried to work in landmarks in Philadelphia, like the Liberty Bell, which he pointed out has a crack in it. Just like there's going to be a crack in Baron Corbin's dome. <laughs> so bad. This, this promo continued, but I refused to keep recapping it. I was just, this is awful. They were talking about some stat. Becky was, was talking about some statue, and then all of a sudden she says, "Hmm, I wonder what it would be like if they made a statue of Lacey birds Evans. pooping on their face." Yeah, or it would something. probably have bird, uh, poop, pigeon poop all over it. it. It was really bad. I hope I never see them do an on-screen promo together again after this program. Yeah, I hope they have a um a separation after tonight. Not not uh, in their relationship, but yes, uh, no, on screen in a professional pairing. Yes. Then they aired this ad. For the big Raw reunion that they are calling the biggest Raw reunion ever next Monday, July 22nd from Tampa, Florida. And they specifically announced Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Christian, the Boogeyman, uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, the Hurricane, Scott Hall, Jimmy Hart, Jerry Lawler, Devon Dudley, and Eric Bischoff. So they are loading up for one of their packed episodes of Raw. I don't know why they're doing this now in the summer and on one show. Uh, like to me, you can only do these so often. And to me, I would be saving these for when you go to Fox right. or at the very least, if you want to get your summer numbers up, I would take some of these names and I'd spread them out over a few Mondays and not just do this one big number. That's it's it's just kind of surprising that they're just doing this. I mean, Austin's got a show that's premiering on USA but that's in August. That's the right. night after SummerSlam, that thing debuts. So you would think you'd want to have Austin on maybe as a recurring character for a few weeks. Uh, who knows? But I, there's no doubt they are looking for anything right now to peak some of those numbers. And uh, Clearly. This, this I was... just feel you could maximize some of this. Like to throw out, you know, a Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, a Hogan. A, I, don't, I don't know how much I, Flair's moving things. Austin's the big one. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But I don't know how, how beyond maybe an Austin or a Hogan, how, any, how much any singular name on this uh roster would mean for a, a singular rating whereas putting them all together at least you can santino morella they promoted the, the, the yeah ex toronto's own um so you know it's another old school raw uh and those are usually very well received so it i feel like it's kind of has it been a while since they've done wait the last one was raw 25 was yeah. last january right so okay. a year and a half okay so i could i could do with one of these a year um i didn't i didn't hear the clip obviously but jim ross did his live show jim ross did the show in jacksonville on sunday night and then this morning they had to fly to do a show in philadelphia and i guess he was still doing his live show because this was brought up this raw reunion and he mentioned that he was invited to it and was given the blessing from tony khan but he turned it down very interesting that was from a correspondent who was there um uh that it was uh written about but didn't hear the exact clip but that's what it sounded like that hmm. um he opted not to do this so uh i'm sure there's gonna be way more names than this it's probably gonna be one of those where they're just gonna contact anyone and everyone yeah um so that's going to be next Monday. The Revival versus the Usos for the Raw tag titles was next. They went uh, 12 and a half minutes. The Revival just cut off the ring. Um, I like kind of watching this with uh, like the heels were the ones that were cutting off the ring and, and grounding the, the more flyers of the two teams. It's made a bit more sense. As opposed to? Well, the Bucks and the Roads last right. night, which was yes. kind of the, the backwards uh, story of this. Mm -hmm. uh, Jay and Dawson fought on the top turnbuckle, and Dawson ended up taking this fall and bouncing off the top rope onto the mat. 
Jay then proceeded to make the hot tag to Jimmy. Dawson and Wilder hit the uh, the power and glory superplex splash combo, but that was broken up when Jay hit his own splash coming off the top. And then Jimmy got sent to the floor. Jay was the legal man, and the revival hit the shatter machine, and Wilder got the pinfall. 12 minutes, 33 seconds. I thought another really good match, technically, as you would expect from these two teams whenever they're given the time on a pay-per-view. However, this is where I started to notice maybe some of the crowd reactions starting to fade. They they, were, they hit a high for The Undertaker, yeah. and it took a long time for the... I don't think the audience ever fully recovered. Um, they from, might have peaked with The with I Taker. I thought they did. I yeah. thought they did. Well, I mean, Taker's the biggest star on the show, so... That's the risk of putting him on early on a very long show. Right. You know, But I'm sure for this particular match, I think some of the reaction you have to attribute to a poorly told story really a lack of a story that was told at all for for this tag title match um so you know very good in execution but i don't think they did enough in the weeks leading up to this to build the crowd's appetite for a match of this length and to me it was almost indicative of how weak the raw tag division is right now not with talent but with tv stories tv time and creative yeah they're there really are no stories to sink your teeth into, and that is where I mean, you compare it to the Rhodes and the Bucks, and I think blew you it compare, away. I think you compare it to SmackDown. SmackDown's a lot healthier right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhat. Um, Cesaro and Alistair Black was next. Black was right back to his regular entrance that we had seen earlier from him, and to me, this was. This was like those promos didn't even exist, and I don't think that was a bad thing. It's a very good thing. This well, was a hard reset. We had wondered, oh, is he going to come out with a dark room? Is it reading? Is he reading? Is yeah. he going to read? What do you mean? You know, I I made that joke about him like reading books or something like Shakespeare on his way to the ring oh, or something okay. like that. I hope he starts to separate himself from that promo style. I mean, the other thing is this version. This is a main event star. This was the exact. Alistair Black that we got in NXT that we got, you know, in the weeks of, of Raw and SmackDown before Mania. Um, I was also curious to find out if they were going to position him as a babyface or a heel because watching those videos, he really felt like a heel to me. And he, he began like becoming this whiny mm-hmm. heel. And I don't know, know if that was by design. I don't know either. But in this match, he wrestled like he always did in a very like fan friendly style. This this was a level of match that to me was like. Leaps and bounds about above what we're typically used to in a WWE setting. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I thought this thing... Well, they start off... Black throws the Black Mass immediately, but doesn't connect. And then Cesaro's going for his neutralizer and got back body dropped. Black connected with a moonsault off the second turnbuckle. And Cesaro went to the floor. And then Black is landing a head kick for a two count his kicks look phenomenal Cesaro with his forearms and uppercuts are looking like the striking was next level yes it was uppercuts versus kicks this was jarring uh like this stood out from everything else on the show to me this was like these guys were playing at a different level uh Cesaro shoved him from the top from the middle rope and then Cesaro hit this beautiful springboard uppercut coming off the middle rope Black then came back with a cabrata followed with uh, kicks to the chest then Cesaro caught him going for the double knees and as he came off the ropes with the double knees caught him pressed him into the air and then landed a European uppercut this is the same spot that Shima and Kenny Omega did the night prior yeah remember with the Meteora Right. And this was the same thing. Cesaro catches him in midair, but Cesaro tops Kenny because he's able to throw, throw him in a the man air. as big as Alistair Black into the air to deliver a European uppercut. So, man, I mean, I, I do have to really, like, wonder if Cesaro watched uh, the show last night or maybe a gif of it or something like that. Because these spots were way too specific to be a coincidence to follow back to back. Either way, Cesaro had the better one. 
Cesaro came off the middle rope again for a springboard uppercut, but this time Black had it scouted and landed a flying knee in midair. Cesaro then tweaks his knee as he's attempting to press Black up, which is playing off of the leg kicks. Black rolls to a knee bar seamlessly, and Cesaro is able to counter counter out of that into the sharpshooter then to a crossface they continue trading strikes black hits these two blistering leg kicks and boom nails him with the black mass and pins him nine minutes and 44 seconds this was my match of the night this thing was awesome this was one of my favorite matches this year from wwe yeah. uh, like this this would have uh you could pluck this into that a block and i think it would have stood out oh completely like this was a tremendous tremendous match Alistair Black, I watched this. This guy could be a, a main event level star. And Cesaro, like this dude's been on the main roster for seven years. Mm-hmm. And what a uh, what a talent. This I love this. This is so awesome. You know, it was a match where both men did not feel like they were being restricted at all with any type of, you know, company policy about what type of match that you were supposed and to have. And had to overcome a tough crowd. Yeah, yeah. You know, it felt like a match where both of them were really able to stretch their wings and showcase what they were capable of. And I think Alistair Black coming off of to us, less than stellar, stellarly reviewed uh, backstage segments. That he better to, never be in that room again. That seemed to drag and drag and drag for months. I think he needed a performance like this to remind people why he is a future main eventer. Um, they were. I love the matchup, uh, even though you know story wise, there's nothing to it. But physically, you know, these two are almost mirror images of one another in terms of the height and stature and and style. It was uppercuts versus kicks. Both of them so aggressive, so athletic. They had some really ambitious and I thought really excellently executed spots. The most impressive, of course, was Cesaro catching that Meteora. And I also love that Achilles lock into the sharpshooter. Very simple, but like modern, like hard-hitting stuff that we know these two excel at. So this was an excellent re-debut for Aleister Black. Uh, I still can't really gauge whether or not he's a heel or babyface, but it almost doesn't matter. I just want matches like this. And I hope Cesaro's done with No Way Jose. I think he is. Uh, I hope so. Probably. This also benefited from being on this show versus SmackDown, where this would have got either significantly cut for time yeah. or murdered with commercial breaks and restarts. And Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, like, this made a big difference being on the pay-per-view format versus television. Yeah. By the end, absolutely one of the best matches of the weekend. And people consider this the best match of the weekend. I would not disagree. I don't know if I... Uh, th- this one was great. It was th- It was my match of the show on this for sure. R-Truth is in the back looking for Drake Maverick, who he's calling Hornswoggle as usual, runs into Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Bliss lied and said, yeah, he's in the bathroom. And that was the last we saw of R-Truth, and there were no other segments for the 24-7 title. Not complaining. That's that's the stuff you say for TV. Yes. Didn't need to be on this show, which was crammed with stuff. Yeah. Uh, Bliss... Uh, gave Nikki Cross a present prior to their handicap match. And then the Street Profits walked in, asking them where the party was at after they win the titles. Dawkins really wants to party with Nikki Cross. And they get, uh, they, Nikki just yelled at them, stating that they would be co-champions after tonight. Already, you know, you can see like what the two weeks of TV time have done for the Street Profits. Because just uh, upon entrance on screen, they were eliciting big reactions from this audience. So, you know, obviously connecting already at a very early stage with the, with the crowd. I do think they have to come up with more for them than I than don't this. like them doing the cheer. Like I think this will run. This has a very limited shelf life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It seems like they're not even committed. Like, are they going to be in the tag division or are they just these weird, like almost hosts on it's the show? It's kind of like where the, the same stage where a lot of those NXT debuts were earlier this year. They don't know what brand. I mean, at this point, everybody's on both brands, but they, they're not necessarily wrestling. They're just there to kind of establish them. 
Handicap match was next with Bailey against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. And I would say the most noteworthy thing in this whole match was Corey Graves mentioning the friend that Bailey used to have that abandoned her. Yeah, so that was it, eh? Because the, there's nothing else. Uh, there was nothing else, Sasha. but this seemed to really be just laying the groundwork. Right. Like, this was as blatant as it gets. Well, I mean, if you remember on Raw, you had Nikki tell Bailey to bring a friend, and that they, they never didn't, happened. They didn't do anything with that. There was no there was no tease of that, even outside of this line, mm-hmm. that it was, you know, Bailey used to have someone in her corner and does not anymore. If they want to save it for TV, maybe that's, that's the better decision. Uh, could be. Yeah. Bliss and Cross kept tagging in and out. They're working over Bailey. Uh, she was placed in the Tree of Woe. They were stomping away at her. Bailey tried to attack Bliss with strikes. She mounted a comeback and then hit a suicide dive onto Nikki Cross. Uh, but the audience was really not getting into this. Bailey used an Indian deathlock onto Cross. Bliss tried to break it up, so Bailey caught her with a simultaneous crossface while the Indian deathlock was still applied. So that was cool with the yeah. double submission. Uh, Bliss then bit Bailey's hand to escape. And then Bailey got her knees up for the twisted Bliss, caught Cross coming off the top, and then laid out, uh, removed Bliss from the ring, and hit Nikki with a top rope elbow, and pinned Nikki Cross in 10 minutes and 22 seconds to retain Mm -hmm. the title. And it just seemed, it kind of just seemed a little underwhelming for the whole story that was told here. Uh, Still baffling that they beat Nikki Cross already, so this wasn't even novel that she finally lost to Bailey because Bailey had already done this. I do wonder, like you know, if if this was the intended um, endpoint for at least this portion of the story all along, or if there was any pivoting involved. Because I mean, they did such a such a strong job of like establishing Nikki as sort of this like you know um, uh, manipulated like this baby face that was being manipulated by a good friend that you wanted to cheer for her to win, and maybe that's still the case, but. Now they, you know, you completely wipe her out of title contention by giving her a clean loss. I guess what I'm assuming that they'll do is they'll have Alexa blame Nikki for the loss to get to that program. And you say Bailey for somebody else with the belt. Yeah, yeah. I I still feel, and I don't know this, but this just seems to be telegraphing Sasha's return. And you would think SummerSlam would be a time to to You think Bailey and Sasha? You could do Bailey against Sasha. Mm -hmm. That could be one way to go. And there's a natural reason for Bailey to... Resent her for leaving and yeah. lead to that match. Oh, that's a SummerSlam-worthy match. It is. And Alexa and Nikki can peel off onto their own. You can yep. do Alexa feeling that Nikki ended up being a disadvantage instead of an advantage here in the handicap match. She's the one that lost the fall. Yeah. Um, I'm curious where they go with that story because I think they have done a fairly good job, yeah. though they, they have had some misses in the last few weeks. The more I think about it, the more I kind of see this as just a chapter and not necessarily the end of that Alexa-Nikki program. Yes. We also have to remember SummerSlam is probably going to have 16 matches on it, so oh, yeah. they're going to have to fill it all out. Mm-hmm. Bobby Lashley versus Braun Strowman in a last man standing match. In a last spleen standing match. Uh both men come out, and, you know, they're in phenomenal shape. They're looking great. God, for a ruptured spleen? It's amazing what he overcame. In two weeks' time? God damn. <laughs> Michael Cole is updating, saying, you know, we've heard all these reports about injuries. There was a thought that he had a pelvis injury, that he had a, a spleen. Yeah, a spleen injury as well. Like, just, you know, I, I heard he had a cough. Yeah, he had a spleen injury, did, too. Did somebody just, like, grab a biology textbook and just look at, like, oh, what's a body part nobody should know where it is? Yeah, there was no effect sold uh, from the big angle, which was only two weeks ago. I would have loved to have seen how you would have sold the spleen. Yeah, it's a tough body part to isolate and work over. Puts a submission on. I'm going to miss the, the use of the word spleen on these podcasts. Yeah, I know. Rest in peace. Lashley hits Strowman with, with a spear. 
that maybe this had that impact on his spleen because he sold this for a while. It's all Lashley at the beginning. Uh, they brawled. Uh, well, he must, yeah, he must have hit the spleen. He hit him right on target. Yeah, he's, he hit the, the sweet spot. Uh, Lashley was using a chair. They fought into the crowd. It's all Lashley. They go into the lobby and... Strowman stops him from suplexing him near the merchandise area, and then Lashley gets tossed into the the t-shirt stand. So Strowman starts his comeback. They fight back into the arena, um, hits Lashley with a running shoulder tackle. Lashley recovered, and he speared Strowman through the barricade as they return ringside. And then Lashley sent Strowman over the announcer's desk, tipped the desk on top of Strowman. The referee starts to count, but Braun comes back to life, and the count stops. Uh... Then they go back into the crowd, including Lashley leaping onto the barricade and right into Strowman, who tossed him onto the area where the international announcers are set up. And I was getting ready for Raymond Rougeau to do a spot. I think the, he specifically tossed him onto the Japanese play-by-play commentator. Uh, Funaki, I know, took a bit of the, the punishment as well. So I I have to wonder, like, you know, how, do they tell... Obviously, they have to tell him beforehand, right? You would think. If, if it's a physical segment, yeah. yeah. I would hope so. But that, that, that dude took it like a champ. Um, the audience was really into this. They're chanting, this is awesome. And these guys, they're playing to their strengths with wild brawling. And they're both intense. They fought up the stairs again. And they got onto this raised platform. And then we had, like, this... This dark abyss, and not the not Chris Parks, who I guess was in the back somewhere. And Strowman gets Lashley up and just power slams him into the upside down that they went into. And it's this like it's a, it's a box. It's a box. And you can't see it. They go over top and it's all dark. And then and many people made reference to the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> Braun Strowman punches through the wall and he was like had he just yelled oh yeah that would have made this and he just roars it's such a Braun Strowman spot yeah. he is the last one standing 17 minutes and 29 seconds uh, another a, a really strong match I don't care show. about people like you know making up your memes or, or comparisons to the Kool-Aid man this is the Braun Strowman I want I want ridiculous visuals that are super cartoony and over the top and he the- needed a match like this oh, like man. he to me has not had a great showing this year uh he really needed a match like this and so did lashley i i would say like ever since the led spot you know um i mean he's really only had two appearances but between that and this this they're getting back to the braun Strowman that i think we all loved uh several a year or two ago with like just big superhuman stunts um i i certainly felt like the intensity was really high from the start with this match and i thought lashley brought it as well so just a, a great execution of a number of really crazy spots involving two giants I think they did a good job of living up to the expectations of a match that you would have expected coming off of that LED thing. So well-produced and relatively safe, I would say. They didn't do anything that was all that crazy, and the audience loved it. And this you know, this really brought the audience back into it. I yeah. mean, some other matches had struggled, but they really got into the, the craziness it's of this. It's difficult to have a good last bang standing match because so much of it is just like go 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 stop go 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 stop because of the count but they're, they're very good in wwe at laying laying these matches out i find and that i i like this a lot it requires like two guys who can do crazy stunts like these two and they they play to their advantages for sure charlie was backstage and interviewed aj styles who was who was with luke gallows and carl anderson and aj just said they did not reunite because of aj's loss to ricochet and he's going to take the title away from ricochet and then they went to do the two sweet they invited Charlie to participate on her birthday, no less. And then they took it away and wouldn't let Charlie too sweet them. What heels? 
assholes. Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus Xavier Woods and Big E versus Heavy Machinery for the SmackDown tag titles. Uh, Woods was in this for a long time. Um, at some point in this, Tom Phillips, the lead announcer of SmackDown, noted he's really excited for the Raw reunion. Well, I mean, he's will a, he be invited? He could be a fan. He I could be so. a fan growing up watching Raw, just like Jim Ross could be excited for the Raw re- reunion. He also said that Otis was a mix of Chris Farley and Rhino. I think that's a pretty apt description, wouldn't you say? I guess so. Yeah. I, the, if you had to name two people that would equal Otis, that would be Chris it. Farley would be one of them, yeah. Yeah, Rhino wouldn't be, maybe, like, he's as thick as Rhino, and that's where the comparison kind of ends. I guess his hair agile. is a little bit. He's, a, he's, he's an agile big man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Otis, I, I thought Brian was really great in this match. Yeah. I would love to see Brian and Otis just have a singles, a singles match. That would be I fun. think it'd be a lot of fun. I think yeah. Brian would love it. Um, Otis called for the Caterpillar, hit it onto Brian, and then Otis used a slingshot into a Uranagi by Tucker. Um, you were more impressed with Tucker the other week than I was. Um, in this match, I thought Tucker did very well. Yes. I, I thought both of them got over well. As a tandem, I, I, I actually really liked them. Uh, I, and I was really impressed with both of them together in this match. Tucker they, did a lot. They have a number of like tag team maneuvers that yeah. I think are a lot more than your typical tag team, I have to there say. There aren't a lot of them in WWE. It's like well, the Revival and the Usos. Yep. Like that, those are the ones that do like their heavy tag spots, and not a lot of them do. But the, these two are very cohesive, and Tucker is certainly you know, the less charismatic of the two. But still, I think he's a very integral part of, of, of the package. Big E speared Brian off the apron, uh, though it wasn't as crazy as most of them look, so I wasn't uh, frightened. Uh, Tucker then climbed up and took down Rowan and Big E with a high cross to the floor. Maybe he was watching Tanahashi. No, uh, sure. Uh, then they hit the compactor onto Big E. Woods got in and made the save. And then Heavy Machinery repeatedly hit Rowan with splashes to try and take him out. Uh, and then there was a Tower of Doom set up, and Daniel Bryan wasn't part of it, so he made the blind tag that the announcers pointed out, but no one else saw. So Biggie hits a superplex, and what does Kevin Kelly say? The person delivering it is taking just as much damage as the person taking it. And Biggie was living proof of this, because after delivering the superplex, he laid there prone for a Daniel Bryan diving headbutt into the label lock, then to the rings of Saturn, and then he isolates the leg, and I thought we were going to get orienteering with uh, Washington death here from Daniel uh, Daniel Bryan here. I mean, this was right out of the Zack Sabre Jr. playbook. It was a variation of the label lock where he just like looked at what free limbs he could grab and, and grab them, much in the way Zack Sabre Jr. seemed to do. And then with Biggie's one free foot, he got it underneath... The underneath the bottom rope, which it's every a, time the announcers bring up this rule, and I can I can just sense Jimmy Corderas's head exploding because he always has to explain this that just because it's no DQ doesn't mean it's false count anywhere. You still have to beat the person within the the ring mm-hmm. in the legal area, right. which is the ring. So you can't cover or submit someone if they're not in the ring. Brian could keep the the move on to just inflict punishment, but he, he could. He couldn't win via tap out. Yes. Right, okay. Uh Brian is slapping around Biggie who then nails Brian with his big lariat. Brian attempted a moonsault and Biggie caught him. I got so nervous watching this because yeah. it was Daniel Bryan, oh, you know, yeah. attempting this, like seeing him like be, be mere inches like from landing headfirst off of a moonsault, but it ended up being perfect. He holds him, turns around, 
and Woods hits the up, up, down, down, and they pin Daniel Bryan. 13-59, New Day regained the SmackDown tag titles, and man, this closing sequence was awesome, and this was a really good tag match. It was really good, and and, you know, again, like, let's pause and think about how positive we are thus far about this WWE uh, TV show, or pay-per-view. This has been a good show so far. It's been a great show so far. I really like the finish. Beginning to end, I thought this was a thoroughly entertaining match with no lulls at all. And again, Heavy Machinery, I thought, were the standouts here. New Day, of course, got the win, so they'll move on to whatever main event or tag title match they have going on at SummerSlam, but... It was Heavy Machinery who I felt gained the most out of this match. Um, Otis continues to receive great reactions to his personality. And as a team, they look great together in ring. Uh, Rowan, on on the other hand as well, continues to be the one that's being protected in the in the feud. So, or in the in the in the in the uh, the team between right. he and he and Brian. So Brian continues to, to take the falls, but Rowan still retains his value, which I think is important because Brian can afford the losses, and maybe they have something more planned for Rowan down the line. So. It's a match that I thought every team uh, involved here benefited. Do you think that this, uh, that Brian continues in the tag division? I would like, yeah, I absolutely think so. I think, I think at the very least, like to try to regain the belt um, at SummerSlam. I can you do Roman versus Brian though? If those two are are, are standing, Roman and Brian, yeah, uh, you could do that. You I'm, could. I was also thinking that you know, based on how tonight went. Um, you get the sense the Joe program could continue, but you could also see Brian finally going for his rematch with Kofi that they never got around to. Yeah. Um, unless they have tag plans. With you know, I, I, I do think Brian still has a lot to achieve in the tag team division. I don't think that team is done yet. Um, I'd like to see it continue. But at the same time, there's so many great opponents out there for Brian as a single star that he hasn't re- reached yet. So then the New Day is celebrating backstage with Kofi and then Paul Heyman sneaks by them and walks out. And gets a pretty good reaction. Um, if you have not seen his his portion from the Evolve show, that was a really cool deal that they did. The lights go out, and then Heyman's in the ring. And it's so funny because it takes a good five seconds or so for the audience to fully digest who's in the ring at the Evolve show. Oh. And then Heyman does, you know, great endorsement of Austin Theory. He does the introduction for him and J.D. Drake, and it was great. He just said, like, you know, I've been invited to all of these shows. I always turn them down, so I wasn't invited here, but this time I asked to be here. And then afterwards said that the torch has been passed, and this should be called the Evolve Arena. Wow. Like, no, it's it's now the 2300 Arena. None of you guys get your names on this. Anyway, he comes out. He says, I am Philadelphia, and the entire concept of extreme is him, and he will be damned if he leaves Philadelphia tonight without being part of history. He says, here it is. Here's your spoiler. Brock Lesnar is cashing in his Money in the Bank contract tonight and is going to leave with either the Universal or WWE Championship and ends it by saying, am I telling you the truth or am I Paul Heyman? The way this was all done, I think it was pretty great. So would you even go back several weeks ago and say, you know, all the lead up to, to this with Paul Heyman coming out in every single week saying uh, he's going to cash in and then he ends up, you know, basically teasing every single every single week. Do you feel like that was all good application to lead up to this point? I think it I think it made for some very um, tedious episodes of Raw. Um Clearly, this was the end goal, though, you know, and do, but do you think it was worth, uh, I guess, those tedious segments to get to this? I don't know if it was always necessarily going to be this night that he always won it. I'm sure at some point they were probably looking at Saudi Arabia to, to do it um, and just 
decided to continue on with Rollins as champion. But um, ultimately, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more at the end when with the actual title change. But in terms of like just what they did this week with Heyman coming out and kind of finally using that spoiler thing for some value, I, th- I thought it had I, I liked it. Yeah. I like what they did with Heyman this week. Ricochet AJ Styles for the United States title. Um, it's also important to note that Heyman did not specify in, in either uh, Monday or on this episode which champion. That yes, he labeled, but he named both. So I think leaving the tease uh, for both mat- title matches coming up. So Ricochet and AJ Styles uh, had about as good a match as you could in front of an audience that was on their hands. Yeah. And this felt like 205 Live. Yeah, and I really wonder why. I wonder how much of it had to do with perhaps the the, the Brock Lesnar uh, mention earlier. Because oh, sorry, I, this is I'm thinking about the Kofi match. I, I I really don't know for this one. You know, is it maybe the lack of interest in the in the in the in the feud itself, or were people tired? Yes, don't know. And this is how it came off on the broadcast. Because whenever we do this, I always hear from someone who's like, "We were there. It was the hottest match I've ever been to the in guy, my life." The guy next to me was screaming like, really yeah, loud. In certain areas of the building, it's going to have different reactions. But when we're watching on television, like it was pretty underwhelming. And we're comparing it to the portion of the crowd, uh, the portion of the show where the crowd really was engaged. Like and the they got into like the last man standing match. They got into, so right. it wasn't like they were just a cold crowd. But they definitely weren't. Um, Ricochet is just. Uh, does his opening flip during his entrance, and Anderson and Gallows jump him, and then the bell rings to start the match. There's no repercussions for Anderson and Gallows. Uh, they are not ejected. I guess maybe it's the playoffs, and you just gotta let them play. Before the bell. I buy it. Okay. Ricochet uh, flipped onto the apron and landed a shooting star clothesline to AJ on the floor, and Ricochet's in control. He scales to the top and then out of nowhere took out Anderson and Gallows with a cross body of his own and then returned, landed a moonsault onto Styles. Like, this is really impressive yeah. uh, to watch. And it was just, I just wish the audience was more into this. Mm-hmm. Styles caught him on the shoulders after a springboard attempt to hit the Ushiguroshi and then snap suplexed him into the crowd, into the turnbuckle. Should have just snap suplexed him into the crowd. That would have woken him up. <laughs> Styles teased the Styles clash and Ricochet countered with a Hurricane Rana. Came back, Pele kick, bloody Sunday by Styles for a two count. And then Ricochet scaled to the top and on the rope portion hit a shooting star press. Styles had his foot under the rope and Anderson and Gallows pointed this out to the referee. And then behind the referee's back, Gallows pulled Ricochet off the top, turning, uh, knocking him off balance. And Styles capitalized by climbing to the second turnbuckle and hitting the Styles clash off the second turnbuckle, but by like jumping out. Yeah, backwards. Jumping backwards. Yes. He has, I have never seen him do this style of Styles Clash, going backwards. And this was the finish. Pin Ricochet, 16 and a half minutes. Um, Really, my only negative is is the the crowd was definitely hurt this, but I thought this was one of the better matches on the show, just watching it from bell to bell. I totally agree. I thought it was a very good match. For whatever reason, this audience's energy just didn't match it. Um... But personally, me watching it from home, I was hooked throughout the whole thing. They had some very ambitious sequences that only these two performers, as highly skilled as they are, could pull off so flawlessly. Ricochet, I think, continues to just look superhuman with his agility, but he's still missing that connection to the audience. And I feel like that might have been part of the issue here as well. You know, and also you knew that interference from Gallows and Anderson was coming. I found the way they ultimately did it to be kind of lazy and kind of predictable, but the actual finishing move itself, the Styles Clash on the second rope, I thought looked really cool. So very good match. 
but the lack of heat for me perhaps maybe downgraded it to just a good match. Yeah, I I just think like the chemistry you had with Ricochet and Styles and Black and Cesaro on this show, like you had that to me is is one thing that uh, some of their previous shows have missed is like having at least if you're going to go with like Corbin on top or some of these finishes, like to have your undercard that at least has some great matches underneath and this. Greatly helped. Um, just having this, also in the buildup, like knowing that you have a Ricochet Styles match, I think that helps with the buildup. Even though the actual execution did have some issues. Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, yeah, I can't really fault any of the performers here. They went out and had, no, the, had the I, best match they could. Yeah, but just this audience just didn't. I like the match a lot, regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and and again, we've got two title matches and this Owen Ziggler match that people don't know how that match is going to go. So you're thinking in your mind like. Oh, that's probably getting 12 minutes main events. Like each of them could be getting 18. So you're thinking like, man, we're in for a lot. Like it's mm. it's tiring when you're in an arena for that amount of time. Show started at seven. Six? Six. Yeah, with the pre-show. Yeah. yeah. So Owens is out with Ziggler and the mat- the bell rings. Ziggler slaps Owens in the face and Owens responds with a stunner and pins him in 17 seconds. Love and it. Just a great way to book this. Owens, like, they are getting behind this guy, and I think it would be crazy not to have him involved with something with Austin next week. Oh, that's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the the, the, the brevity of this match certainly explains the late addition to it, to an already stacked card. Really, it ended up just being a way to introduce a Kevin Owens promo. This was basically, you look at this as more like a segment. Um, he lays the challenge out to Shane McMahon. Or um, what does he say here? He, get, he gets onto the microphone and talks about all the television time Shane McMahon eats up and said he expected to get suspended or fired tonight. Uh, but because because they had done this over the weekend with this idea that Owens has been barred from the buildings and then they put him into a match. So that that part you kind of had to do some creativity with. But they tried here by explaining that. He could have been suspended or fired tonight, but because Shane got hit with that tombstone, Shane was in no capacity to deal with him tonight and was was selling the effects of the tombstone. So that's Why how. Why did they put him in the match? Well, they didn't have a great explanation because Shane was completely conscious and uh, of sound mind when this match got made. Mm-hmm. But Whatever. He, he did add here that he doesn't work for Shane McMahon. He works for WWE. He said that on the pre-show with right, Kayla. Okay. He yeah. said Shane can kiss his ass and go to hell, and he speaks on behalf of everyone. So it really feels like they're building to a loser leaves te- television match for SummerSlam. Like that seems what it is. Interesting. The best in the world versus the worst in the world that he's calling himself now. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, this really was just a TV segment that I thought laid the groundwork for a potential big high profile match at, at SummerSlam for Kevin Owens. So I didn't find it uh, offensive at all. In fact, I found it perfectly economical for what it achieved. And I think you remember on that takeover a few months ago where they decided not to announce Matt Riddle and Cassius Ono ahead of time because it was similar. It's such a short match. Yeah. And they didn't want to promote something where their expectations are high. And like what I had heard was this was always going to be on the show. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the reasoning was, but it could have been the same thing that don't promote something big and then expectations are people are expecting something that we're not delivering. I totally understand that 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 way of thinking. I guess in this case, I don't think they had to be that worried because I don't know how many people would have been looking forward no, to it. On these long shows, I, I covet one of these matches being but a I quick mean, match. But I mean Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler in particular. I don't know how many people were looking forward to this one. I also like when a guy just dominates someone and we're not worried about protecting the loser. We're just going with the winner. Well, like, yeah, you say that. But I mean, we also didn't really like Bobby, Bobby Lashley versus Rey Mysterio on Monday, did we? 
It has to be the right feud. It's 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 the person that you're ultimately pushing. I don't think it had to specifically be Ray that yeah. was in that role. But yeah. I think that the idea of pushing someone like that and getting behind someone and he just dominates people, that's something they don't do that I often. I think if they do it with somebody like a Baron Corbin or somebody I think who's been so overexposed and I, I would say, you know, not that not so much of a fan friendly guy like Adolf Ziggler, it's really it's the right way to go. Then Samoa Joe is with Charlie backstage and he just cut a promo that he is going to end the unexceptional reign of Kofi Kingston. And he his his biggest issue is the idea that the New Day could all leave as champions tonight. And it is his mission to stop this from happening. That was mm-hmm. it. Clear and to the point. Good promo. Kofi Kingston, Samoa Joe. Um, an interesting layout of this match. Joe hits this violent leg sweep, um, nailing Kingston's left knee. And he overpowers Kofi from the get-go. And he's dominating him for most of the match. He goes to the floor and took a page out of Randy Orton's book because we got some finger violence where he placed Kofi's hand underneath the steps. Specifically the middle finger. The middle finger that he used on TV. You're right. It was just the one finger. And then stomped the steps and... Awesome spot. I loved it. So simple, so brilliant. And for once, a finger joint manipulation spot that comes off of an angle involving an actual finger. So I thought it was brilliant. Yes. Kingston tries to fight back. He manages a top rope crossbody, but then Joe hits him with a power bomb, applies an STF, goes to the cross face, and then finally gets the coquina clutch. Kingston tries to kick off the turnbuckle, and it's that spot we've seen so many times of the guy kicking off and going for the cover. And Joe was ready for this, and he just lets Slams go, him down. drops Kofi, and falls with a senton. I love this. So great. And so awesome. Joe starts attacking him with punches. Kofi bounces off the ropes and just nails him out of nowhere with a trouble in paradise. And after 90% of the match being taken by Joe, this one trouble in paradise gets Kofi the win at 947. I ended up being a little bit disappointed in this one because it didn't get more time. Joe was great. That finger spot was great. I was expecting, you know, this to be on track to have a great comeback from Kofi Kingston and then a really hot finishing sequence to build to a climactic finish. But then it just ended out of nowhere. So I I, I wonder, did something get cut down? Was this always the plan? I don't know. I will also say, though, the crowd was sadly quite dead for this match. And, you know, to compare, like, how lively they were earlier in the show, uh, maybe they were exhausted again, or perhaps it could be because everybody expected a, a Lesnar tease that maybe took it away. Either way, um, the crowd reaction was not big for the time that this, this match did get. And by the end of it, you're left kind of wondering perhaps why it ended the way that it did. Like this was a crowd that wanted either legends or violence. Yeah. That seemed to be like what maybe. the crowd wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, yeah, it was like so one-sided for Joe that I have to believe this is continuing, uh, but you've got to really come up with a compelling reason. It was a clean loss. It was, but I I don't know. I didn't get the sense like this was the blow off to this just because it was so dominant for Joe up until one move. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like to me this this played like they were just writing Joe off, but they can always heat him back up, of course. Um, I hope they do because I would hate to see Joe just fall into obscurity again. But the way this ended was a little bit strange, and I feel like um, I wonder how much of it was like designed to make you think that Brock Lesnar was going to come out. Yeah, probably some of that where Kofi took this big beating, but there was no Brock. But the beating was not even that big. No, but um, 
He did have a. It was on its way there. Like if if Kofi had you know the broken finger had had a very grueling comeback and then ultimately had to really cut out a performance to beat Joe, I think everybody would have called called for the Lesnar cash in right there. But yeah. they didn't go that route. It's tough. You don't want to go too far where Brock looks silly for not capitalizing on it either. Right. So Kofi retains. And then we go to the main event, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch against Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Winner takes all for the Universal and Raw Women's Championships. Evans came out with the word Seth embroidered on the back of her trunks. Yeah, and boy, did the directors try to let us know about it with a giant zoom-in close-up of... Yeah, they got the the New Japan cameraman here. Maybe Maria Kanellis was the one who told them, hey, there's a way to shoot this. Mm -hmm. It's very creepy. Um so the match begins. Rollins and Lacey, by the way, or sorry, Rollins and Becky are wearing like matching X-Men gear. Oh, were they? That's what I took it to be. Okay. Um, Evans brought a kendo stick in and she got stopped by Rollins and she pressed herself up against Seth and was putting her hand on her ch- on his chest. So Becky beat the hell out of Evans with a kendo stick. Yeah. So the idea was Evans is playing mind games. Yep. Dreaded mind games. Uh, Corbin attacked Rollins with a chair. Evans tossed in more chairs. They were introducing these weapons. Uh, it, it was pretty boring, uh, I found. Like, it was just going through the motions. We could only do male versus male, female versus female. Evans, uh, at one point, uh, let go of this chair, and it hit Becky in the face on the floor. Yeah. And uh, Lacey also, some somewhere in all of this, got busted open herself from, like, the lip or something. Like, her mouth was bleeding. I mean, they were clearly trying to, like, set a very intense tone. And they were hitting each other, like, pretty hard with these weapons. So, um, it, 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 they were trying to be violent. Evans hit her uh, twisting moonsault off the top onto Becky. And then Lynch ducked the woman's right and hit an inverted DDT. Rollins brought a table out, which was the biggest reaction so far in the match. Corbin and Evans then worked together in the ring several minutes later, hitting double choke slams that Rollins and Becky kicked out from. It looked very weird seeing Lacey Evans deliver a choke slam. Not one of her usual moves. It's, it, it was kind of visually just a, just a weird uh, move. Um, they go to the floor and uh, Corbin and Evans took a double vertical suplex onto the ramp. And then we got the table spot where Corbin and Evans were placed on individual tables on the floor. Lynch put, it, Evans threw one with a leg drop, and then Rollins put Corbin through one with a splash. Uh, that looked impressive. And then in the ring, Corbin makes his comeback, and the big spot, he hits Becky with the end of days. Yeah. And the place just is shocked. And, you know, for keeping all of this stuff separate, just Corbin hitting this one move, it got the most reaction in the place. The announcers sold it like this guy had just murdered this woman in front of her boyfriend. And the close-up on Rollins, the look on Rollins' face, I thought Rollins did a great job. And he lost it. Tons of kendo stick shots, then chair shots over and over. He hits one stomp, two stomps. The best part of this, before you finish, was that Lacey Evans is just on the ramp. She sees all this, and she's like, Fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm like done. we We went way too far. Three stomps, Seth delivers and pins Baron Corbin in 1956. I think that the... The the table certainly worked. Uh, the final two minutes got the crowd up, but I, I thought overall I was pretty disappointed with this match as a whole for for a twenty minute match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my expectations weren't really high for for it to begin with, to be honest. But I thought it was, you know, it was above my expectations, to be honest. I I didn't expect that uh, that much of it, but I felt like it was 
they they had to escalate the spots. They couldn't really like go for like the big stuff right off the beginning. But I really liked the finish. It was shocking. I thought it helped unleash a new side of Seth Rollins. It was necessary. Very yeah yeah absolutely. So, um, I think it was successful in achieving that. The right finish. I think we're ready to move on from from Bear. I I guess Baron gets a whole new like new life moments later because he was not able to get another title shot against Seth and that's not a problem anymore. What? What do you mean? Well, this was their last chance with yeah. these two as champions. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So with Seth True. losing, it's he really he didn't lose anything here. I guess not. So the match ends and Rollins and Becky are the winners. They're raising their titles, and Brock Lesnar's music hits, and he walks out with Paul Heyman. Everyone's like, the guy didn't lie. And Lesnar enters the ring, and he hits Seth with a German suplex, hands over the briefcase, and they announce that he is cashing in. The bell rings. He hits Seth with an F5, 1, 2, 3. In 16 seconds, he beats Kevin Owens' time by one second. (laughs) And Lesnar wins. I feel it should have been more than an F5 to keep Seth down. Yeah, I mean, I think you can understand why they maybe decide to use the weapons. You know, first thing to make the match a bit more exciting, but also I think that hoping to give Seth such a beating that you could buy this a little bit I didn't bit think more. they really, by the end, like they sold, like he was the one that delivered the big beating. And, yeah. you know, the announcers were like, he's also, what an emotional toll of just seeing the end of days delivered to Becky. Like that was kind of their justification here. But um, I had wondered how, you know, if Becky was going to play any part in this finish with Brock Lesnar. Um, cause I was thinking too, how they would explain Seth Rollins being weakened, even though he had just won the match. I, I buy it enough. It's, it's Brock Lesnar. It's an F5. Uh, someone joked that this should make Paul Heyman the raw women's champion. <laughs> if the stipulation from the last match, uh, continued, but well, what did you feel about this decision to put the title back on Lesnar? And does this lead to a rematch between these two at SummerSlam? Is Roman involved? Feel, uh, what is the best use of Brock Lesnar? Well, I, I mean, I I personally pre- would have preferred if, if uh, Lesnar cashed in on Kofi and we had that match instead because I think Kofi maybe needs it more than Rollins. Rollins-Lesnar is a program that I feel like we've seen so often that I don't really care to see Rollins try to win the belt back for Brock Lesnar. Yet I think that's the match that they're going to do. Is Roman going to be involved? I guess that'll be an interesting wrinkle to it, you know? Roman and Seth fighting over who gets to fight Brock Lesnar. To me, it's still not as interesting as Kofi Kingston versus Brock Lesnar. So in that sense, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, but I think Rollins has to be involved. He has to get his belt back. You would think so, yeah. yeah. So I-, I think that this show did a really great job of sending you to Raw and SmackDown this week because there's many interesting ways you can go with several of the key people for SummerSlam. Like this isn't a SummerSlam card where you look at it and it's obvious uh, what the card is. And that's good and bad. You should know your directions, but uh, there's definitely a lot of variation that we'll probably get a good sense of this week. Yeah. I mean, I I pretty much looked at every booking decision coming out of this show as a way to lead directly to SummerSlam. And I thought everything was done really well. They laid a lot out. Yeah. I thought this was a good show, John. Like I thought this was one of the best WWE pay-per-views this year. It might, it might have been the best. I liked it more than uh, fight for the fallen. Um, I liked it probably more than the B block new Japan show, even like and coming out into the show with very, very low expectations. Um, I was thoroughly impressed. I thought the wrestling was really strong. The booking was really strong as well. It was an entertaining show. I liked the show a lot. It was a thumbs up show for me. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I went in with decent expectations. I wasn't as down on this show as Stomping Grounds. Um, they weren't through the roof, but I, I thought that I got a better show than I anticipated going into this. What but do you give it out of 10? I go 7. 
I go seven and a half. All right. Well, the forum gave this a 6.61. Um, so right. we, will, we will be taking your phone calls as well. So if you want to call in to chat Extreme Rules, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree with us. one seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three one seven three two eight hundred forty four. 23 long distance charges may apply or you can search for post wrestling on skype and call in for absolutely zero dollars from anywhere in the world so phone lines are open right now if you don't reach just keep uh calling until you do get through aj from pennsylvania writes this was a solid show and one of the better wwe shows of 2019 overall though i enjoyed fight for the fallen i have to say this was a slightly more entertaining watch aew really needs to work on the flow from match to match wwe does this seamlessly and it's an underappreciated aspect of their programming black cesaro was my match of the night really great match to start the singles career for black hope they keep the program going through SummerSlam. I don't know if that program has to continue. This felt like a one and done for Aleister Black. I wish it would continue. I would love a best of seven series with these two. I mean, I think I guess Cesaro has kind of made his name off a of best of seven series with like Sheamus and and whatnot. But I wouldn't be complaining if we did get more. What at least one more match between. It's two. not the worst place for Black if you don't have a solid idea for him. But yeah. man, he went over in pretty dominant fashion here. I think this was just this is the perfect opponent to do this match with mm-hmm. and. Now I see Black moving on to something else. I think so, too. Yep. Um, we go to Brian from New York who says, I guess you could say a face champion is having a good run when I cheered a damn Rocket League commercial just because it signified that Brock wouldn't be cashing in on Kofi tonight. Not so lucky was Rollins. Here's hoping for a quick turnaround and switch back for the title at SummerSlam. As annoyed as I am with another Brock run that does nothing for the TV product, it's not like Seth has a ton of strong opponents lined up otherwise. So maybe he can continue tonight's aggression into a more exciting title run after this. Match of the night has to go to Black and Cesaro. Such a different match than what we're used to in WWE. Black is poised to be a big star, and I hope they don't waste time getting him into the title mix in the fall. As for Cesaro, we've all known he's got the tools to be an elite talent for this company, but if you guys had a chance to make a change to him tomorrow to satisfy whatever WWE keeps thinking he's missing, what would you add to his presentation? To Cesaro? Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a whole lot. I think that there's a lot there that's just untapped that I, I think he's... I don't know what the hesitation is, but he's kind of one of those guys. He's just he's been in that he's been on that main roster for seven years, and once you're kind of in that spot for that amount of time, it's very hard to progress past it. You do get situations like a Kofi Kingston that's sort of an outlier. I think they need to. I I feel like what's still holding him back is an ability to cut a promo. So I think a, a some type of manager. Paul Heyman, that didn't really work out, um, and I don't necessarily think that they were all that dedicated to it, but I think a mouthpiece for Cesaro, along with like a more stoic type of personality and character, I think would help the guy, but that's just me. Uh, let's go to our first caller. Oh, well, I was hoping to talk to Hansi, but for some reason, we weren't be able to connect. So, why don't John, why don't you just move on to the next one for now? All right. We'll uh, continue on here with Matthew from Australia. Overall, I really enjoyed Extreme Rules, and I honestly cannot say I was looking forward to it. My biggest gripe, which will be many others as well, is Brock winning back the title. I'm not sure if this was the plan all along or Heyman's behind-the-scenes role affecting it, but I cannot see what they can do new for Lesnar being the top champion on Raw, and I'm not sure if he can reinvent this run. Guys, what's new is that he's going to face somebody at SummerSlam. They're, they're yeah. building to a SummerSlam match. That's yeah, all this is. This, to me, isn't anything that should have been surprising to people. Um, 
Defeating Kofi, throwing that curveball, and facing him as at SummerSlam garners instant attention to SmackDown ahead of its move to Fox. But this, this screams desperation. Maybe I'm cynical, but even I can't see how Heyman can create something out of this. Um, I, I think no one knows what the program is either. So that's, um, you know, you knew Brock was going to be figured into, like, the guy is signed. So he's not going to be sitting on the sidelines for SummerSlam. And for what they're paying him, he's not going to be in a throwaway match at SummerSlam. So he's going to set up a chase for a babyface. Brock is going to be a main event star as long as he's being utilized by this company. Let's go to Hanzi on the line. Hanzi, what's up? What's up, guys? Um, I just want I just want to say I really enjoyed the show. I thought... Uh, I really like. I thought like even though like the crowd reaction didn't like uh, react to like some of the matches, I thought like everyone like delivered. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed every single match. Like you know the Strowman and Lashley stuff. I'm kind of curious to see where he goes. Um, because I I think Lashley. I, I mean Lashley has been given more life lately, but I I'm just curious where these two go because I feel like. They're the guys who kind of stole the show a, a, a bit, mm-hmm. but the main event I didn't uh, I didn't hate it as much as everyone else did. But um, I was disappointed that Brock Lesnar cashed in on, uh, on on Seth Rollins. I I did want him to cash in on Kofi, but at the same time, I didn't want Kofi to lose it because I know WWE as 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 much as they've been bigging up Kofi the last couple of months. I know that they're not going to let Kofi beat Brock, right? So maybe in a way I'm kind of like, you know, happy that it didn't happen. But at the same time, I think if Kofi did fight Lesnar, it would have made Kofi a little bit more credible. So I'm just wondering, like, what do you guys think? Like, you know, I, I know you guys are talking about it, but do you guys see anything definite for where Kofi's going? Or do you think like you'll be a rematch with Joe? Or do you guys think that it's going to lead to a new challenger overall? Well, one point I wanted to make was I thought tonight, uh, two of the things I really liked was relatively clean finishes on this show. I mean, outside of the AJ Ricochet, it's, it was pretty much clean finishes. And second was they gave a lot of clean wins to baby faces. Like you had Taker and Roman Reigns. You had Braun Strowman, Kevin Owens. Like you've set up several different options as baby faces. And I always like that when you can look at, okay, they have set up numerous options here uh, of where you can go. Now on the, the reverse of that is finding that heel for Kofi Kingston. Uh, I think it's, it's less of a field that you can find there. And I would say the options are Samoa Joe continuing that. If you want to reheat Daniel Bryan to get him back into that picture, uh, that's potential. Um, I, I I don't see like the dynamite program for Kofi Kingston that comes out of this. Um, I don't know how hot the program is for Joe that uh, you could just continue that without adding some bells and whistles to that. Um, so I could see Daniel Bryan potentially being thrown in there. That would be one option. Does something oh, st- stand out for you, Hansi? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, I, I guess we'll see where it goes, but uh you know, uh, I want Paul. Like, I haven't been keeping up with this because I don't know what her update is. But somebody was like saying, "Oh, um, if Brock, like, someone, I think it was Bully Ray on Twitter was saying that, uh, that like, you know, Brock would be feuding with Seth, and Becky would kind of, you know, uh, try to like intervene, and then all of a sudden Ronda Rousey's music hits, and then you find out that Paul Heyman has like has her as a client. Is she like?" out indefinitely right now for like time being or do you, like is she pregnant or or does anyone know anything or is it possible that she could come back for SummerSlam? um i mean the, i've heard nothing in that direction like the the last 
that's kind of been out there is just that she is she is gone indefinitely. Um, I, I would say if you were going to do something like that, it would like you'd have to shoot that angle now. I, I would think. Um, I don't see them going that direction. Um, I, I'm not too optimistic on on Ronda Rousey coming back after she just did the the whole sabbatical and everything like that. So I'm not expecting that. I also feel doing something like that, like that could be a WrestleMania kind of thing um, that you could do down the road, but um, I'm not expecting it. All right. Well, yo, yo, yo thanks for taking my call and uh, taking my questions. Uh, I hope you guys are both well, man. Uh, and guys keep up the good work as usual. All right, man. Thanks very much. Thanks for the calls. Thanks, Hansi. All right. We have uh, one more here uh, from Grit Gritner. Who says, pretty good show overall. I think all of the Extreme Rules shows put on put on in WWE makes for one of the better cards every year. Actually, somewhat surprised Brock cashed in. In my mind, I always thought the cash-in would end up being advertised with the Vince McMahon guarantee for the first SmackDown on Fox. I mean, it's on record that Brock said Friday, right? I took that line as him hinting he's not doing it at the Jetta show, but rather on the first SmackDown since they'd both take place on a Friday. I think you, if you wanted to have Brock Lesnar on that first SmackDown show, you could just always make up something to get him out there. It seems like the priority right now is getting him into a main event at SummerSlam. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And yeah, it's uh, once they get to Fox, I think they're going to be looking to pull out every option imaginable. But that is several months away um, that they'll be looking at that. So yeah, we got another phone call here. As we wait to connect here, uh, Johnny, I believe, is on the line. Johnny, can you hear us? Hello, caller, can you hear us? Hello, hello, hello. All right. I don't think we have Johnny on the line. All right. Well, um, before we get out of here, just a few uh, injury notes uh, we should mention. Uh, Dr. Britt Baker noted the fact that she suffered a concussion during that tag match on Saturday at Fight for the Fallen on the buy-in. So that probably explains kind of uh, at least her state during that match. Um, So hopefully concussion, it's not too serious, but uh, that was what was going on there. And just coming out tonight, New Japan has announced... Will Ospreay has suffered a neck injury, and he will be off Monday's undercard. Wow. On the undercard. Well, okay, yeah. Yeah. It goes on to say here, Ospreay is not suffering from any uh, skeletal or nervous issues. His status for the next G1 Climax event on Thursday will be determined after Ospreay undergoes uh, further medical evaluation. We sincerely apologize to fans who are looking forward to see Ospreay wrestle and appreciate your understanding. And it's now going to be... um, Oh. Kota Bushi and Jushin Liger versus Shota Umino and Yota Suji. So, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully that is not something that is going to be too serious, but it is a neck. Watching the match with Sonata, I wouldn't have noticed anything off. Like, he ended up finishing the match, won the match, and I wouldn't have been able to tell, like, anything was wrong. But that would be really unfortunate if, if he was to, to be taken out. Yeah. So, I, I'm glad, like, the undercard tags, these guys, they, they don't need to be doing them if it's if it's something where it's preserving the guys for the tournament, like you can replace them on the tags. So. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that was uh, the latest injury news. And other than that, that's, that's about it. We've got raw Monday night from long Island, New York and the start of the build for SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think uh, coming out of extreme rules, um, there's going to be a good deal of buzz with Brock Lesnar winning the belt. Do you think that will get a boost uh, for the ratings? Oh, I think so. I think so. Given the fact you're coming off the pay-per-view, you did the title change, and... 
So we got that, and then we got the, the what is it, Raw Reunion on the next uh, yeah. edition. So, so that's you're looking at two weeks of, you know, you'll get a boost tomorrow, and hopefully, the one thing is with the, doing these reunions, they typically, they build them up for like a month, mm-hmm. and this one, you're doing it on eight days notice. So it's Austin, though. Austin being on TV, I think, is going to be eight, a big eight difference eight maker. Eight days is enough, I feel. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably promote the hell out of it, and it's just a whole plethora of names that are showing up and yeah this week is important you've got this um tuesday was supposed to be the um the first night eric bischoff is supposed to be there at smackdown now we are going to see kind of what kind of role he's going to have and that's going to kind of be revealed in in the television and the guy acclimating himself very much and we'll see how raw bounces back from last week's very dreadful show well yeah i mean tonight was a much much better outing for yeah. the company as a whole with the pay per view. I think this really is one of those. It feels like it's hot and cold, honestly. Like every single edition of. Which Raw are you going to get this week? Well, I mean, like including this pay per view. Yeah. Like, anyway. Really okay. Curious. So I want to thank everybody that has tuned in this weekend to all of our shows. And I also want to thank all of the people uh, helping out with everything this weekend from WH Park, Braden Harrington, Davey Portman, and, and Way for all the stuff you were doing, uh, oh, managing yeah, like all these shows, getting everything up. Uh, Thank you, man. Th- this uh, has been maybe outside of like a WrestleMania, probably one of our busiest weekends ever. It's true, yeah. Um, but you know, more to come. I think this is like a, a, a level that we're we're comfortable operating at at this point. I also want to address a lot of you guys might be uh, you know noticing some very sl- some slowdown when downloading the podcast. It is due to us basically having too much. We're way too popular, everybody. And That's so I guess basically what Podbean has told us is that there's too much demand for our shows. Right. So um so I I, I think I am in the process of like seeing what our other options are to move our, our shows to another uh, uh broadcast stream. But with everything going on with the G one, with us being as busy as we are, it's something I might have to delay until after later on this summer. Uh so please bear with us for, for now. Uh I I I will say streaming the shows rather than downloading them seems to work out a little bit better. At least for me. I don't seem to have too much of an issue. But um Please keep me updated. I'm always curious to know, like, you know, how everybody's, like, user experience. So uh, please bear with us for now. All right. That's going to wrap up the show. Uh, show number however many of however many this, yeah. this weekend. Four, four of six in the next uh, – oh in, in, in the current uh, – in two well, – in the, in the three days. So we got two more to come tomorrow. Yes. So we'll be back uh, early evening. Way and I will have a G1 review. And then late Monday night, Rewind to Raw returns. So you can look forward to that at postwrestling.com. And, of course, postwrestlingcafe.com is where you can sign up. That will give you access to all the G1 shows, all of our archive, all the bonus shows. We're still going to be doing Rewind Aways during the G1. So – uh, great time to sign up. Lots of stuff to check out on the cafe. So for Wei Ting, I am John Pollock. Thank you for listening to our Extreme Rules post show.